0: Well, we are in the home stretch of our Proverbs series. We've been studying Proverbs this summer as a church. Uh, we began back the beginning of June, and we have this week. And we have next week before we'll say goodbye to Proverbs. It's not been an exhaustive study, but what we've been doing is we've been looking at these themes uh, that show up uh, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is this kind of concentrated collection of wisdom. Uh, in the Old Testament, wisdom that's consistent with what we see in the rest of Scripture. Uh, we know that it's inspired by God. Second Peter chapter one tells us that our, our writers were led along by the Holy Spirit. It was not themselves that were just writing down their own opinions. So you know these words are recorded for us to help us uh, live live wisely. Uh, the The theme of our series has been live well. We have said we want to live well, and we we, we want to understand that. Our God, our maker, our creator, the one who formed you and crafted you in your mother's womb, he wants you to live well. And week after week, you're probably tired of hearing it. Um, I've shared with you the words of John chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, Jesus says, the thief, Satan, the devil, our adversary, he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Um, Our enemy, Satan, is opposed to God's best for you. He wants to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus says that's not the end of the story. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have life in the full, life in abundance, life that's overflowing. Jesus says, I want you to live well. God wants you to live well. And so we're looking to Proverbs as well as the whole council of scripture to say, how can we live well in some of these important areas in life? We looked at themes like relationships, how to live well when it comes to relationships, uh, how to live well when it comes to the words that we speak and the words that we write and the words that we email and all those things. Um, we've looked at how to live well when it comes to the plans that we make and how we spend money, and last week, how we work hard. How do we live well? Uh, This week, we're going to bundle together three themes uh, because I'm running out of weeks, and so we're going to put all three into into one week. But I want to give you kind of a banner uh, phrase before we get there because I think it speaks to all the other weeks as well. And here's the phrase, when disciples of Jesus live differently, it makes a difference. When disciples of Jesus live differently, when disciples of Jesus choose to listen to his word, choose to obey his word, choose to follow his commands as it relates to relationships and words and plans and and money and hard work and the things we're going to talk about today, it makes a difference. People take notice. It not only causes them to take notice in, in, in that it makes a difference that way, but it actually helps them uh, it allows you to be a light in their dark place. So when disciples of Jesus live differently, it makes a difference. And, and this will be on full display in the three themes that we look at uh, today. And here are the themes we're gonna look at today. We're gonna move through them probably pretty quickly, maybe more quickly when you'd like. Um, but we're gonna look at attitude, anger, and alcohol. Uh, attitude, anger, and alcohol. What wisdom can we find in the word of God that speaks to how we approach our attitudes, specifically in Proverbs, attitudes related to pride and arrogance uh, versus humility. How do we allow God's wisdom to speak into our hearts when it comes to emotions like anger? And probably the more controversial, where I'll probably offend most of you, uh, is what does God's word have to say about alcohol? What wisdom is provided there when it comes to uh, to alcohol, so let's start with attitude. We'll save the hardest for uh, last. If you have your Bibles, find Proverbs chapter 11. Now, this is going to be another one of those weeks where you're going to find yourself moving back and forth between your Bible or touching the screen on your phone or tablet a lot because there are lots of verses to go through. And uh, so uh, just be prepared for that. The verses will be on the screen. Uh, if you just want to kind of write them down and follow along there, that's fine too. In Proverbs. Again, attitude is mostly put into these categories of pride or humility. Pride and humility are contrasted. Pride is attributed to the fool, to people living in folly, whereas humility is attributed to the wise. Case in point, Proverbs chapter 11, verse two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. When pride comes, then we lose favor with other people. When pride comes, then we set ourselves up to be put to shame. What, what is pride? Quite simply, pride is an inflated sense of self, an inaccurate sense of self. Pride is manifest when we think that our ideas are better than everyone else's, our opinions matter more than everyone else's. And really, at the bottom of it all is that we believe that our value is greater than someone else's value. Pride is an inflated sense of self. If you think of a balloon, we puff up with pride. We fill with air. We think that we are better than we are. Pride leads to disgrace. The way it's thought elsewhere, Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verses 18 and 19, I think it is, Uh, The writer says that pride comes before a fall. Sorry, uh, verse 18, yeah, Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty or prideful spirit before a fall. Better be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Again, pride, this inflated sense of self and we believe that our ideas, our opinions, our value, we're better than other people. We're puffed up with pride. It's going to lead to destruction or to a fall. One of the things I find interesting as we read these words in Proverbs is that uh, these words, a first initial audience, uh, would have been Solomon's son and maybe his other children. Solomon is king, the third king of Israel. Uh, His children would have been royalty, Uh, grown up in a palace, like who would have been susceptible or more susceptible to pride uh, than people that kind of had it all? And he warns them, pride will lead to disgrace. Pride leads to destruction. Pride comes before a fall. So what's the alternative? The alternative attitude is humility. Again, back to Proverbs 11, verse two. But with humility comes wisdom. What is humility? Humility is a right understanding of ourselves. Pride is an inaccurate understanding. It's an inflated sense of self. Humility on the contrary is a proper understanding of ourselves. Humility at its roots understands who God is. It respects, honors, reveres God. And that then in turn helps us see who we are and who the people around us are. And humility brings wisdom. I think it's fitting that in Proverbs, we've said that kind of the theme verse is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning uh, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord inevitably, all for God, reverence for God, uh, leads us to this appreciation of who he is, which then places us in a humble position to say, you know what, I can't figure this out on my own. I need your help. That's That's a humble perspective. That's living in humility. And that's the attitude that's prized It's the attitude that we're encouraged to have, it's the attitude of the wise, is to be people who are humble. To have a right understanding of ourselves, to allow the view of ourselves to be shaped by who God is and what he has to say about us and what he has to say about the people around us, rather than rooting our worth and our value in what we think of ourselves. Humility is praised and prized throughout scripture. Paul tries to coach it up in the early believers. If you look at Ephesians chapter four, Uh, Verse two, uh, a powerful, simple verse on humility. Ephesians four, verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul says, be humble, have a right understanding of yourself. See who God is and what he has to say about you and what he has to say about others. Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul's writing to these early believers, and he's saying, hey, uh, you should be humble. Here's what's really challenging about Paul's words, especially in the immediate context of the people in Ephesus and in Philippi. We have uh, words written by people who are not followers of Jesus, who do not believe in God from the same day as Jesus, and they write about how humility is despised in the Roman Empire. Humility is not something that you, you aspire to. Humility is not a virtue that you want. In the Roman Empire, it's all about self-promotion, making yourself look better than you are. And so humility was looked down upon, and yet what is Paul coaching up in people who follow Jesus, be, be humble, yeah. have this right understanding of yourself. It is countercultural, And I would submit that it's just as countercultural today because we live in an age where we are prone to self-promotion. Uh, think about how we like to showcase our achievements in conversations, on social media feeds. Think about how we like to position ourselves to get more notoriety often. Yes. And yet, we're called to humility as followers of Jesus. It reflects Jesus, right? What does Jesus say about himself? Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, after he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says, I'm humble. Paul tells us that Jesus is humble. When when we read those words in Philippians 2, 3, and 4 earlier about being humble, he says that we should have the same attitude in us that was also in Jesus And he goes on to describe what Jesus did in in Philippians chapter two, verse eight, he says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is the way of the kingdom. If we want to live well, we need to be people who look and understand what God has to say about us and about others, and we live out of that identity rather than an inflated sense of self. If you think you're better than everyone else, it's gonna be hard to live well. Your pride's gonna set you up for disgrace and for shame Amen. and for destruction and for a fall. So let's be people who move towards humility, understanding who God says that we are mm-hmm. and then also what he says about those around us. We're no better, we're rescued, we're redeemed, we're saved by grace alongside of them and God has a purpose for us in this world. Yes, let's move to the second theme, anger. I don't know about you, but it feels like in the world that we live in today um, that, that there are so many just on the cusp of an angry outburst. Well, my parents growing up would use this phrase, they would talk about somebody having a short fuse, Or they would speak to me and they would say, hey, Craig, we think you have a short fuse. What are they saying? Well, using this imagery that comes from bombs, fireworks, firecrackers, if something has a short fuse, it doesn't take long for the flame, for the heat source to reach where it's going to lead to an explosion. And So we want to have a long fuse is what my parents would say. I think we're living in a short fuse society it seems as though everywhere you look people are just on the cusp of an outburst think about the incidents of road rage that we hear and read and watch. Think about the incidents of air rage now. That's like this new thing where people get upset and they fight and they, they hurt each other on airplanes. Think about boardroom rage. Think about school board rage. Think about teachers meeting rage. Think about all these different places where people are just on the cusp, the short fuse and it only takes a spark. And all of a sudden there's this angry outburst. I was reading on Henry Ford Health's website about what leads often to anger. And it shared that anxiety and stress and loss that can be the loss of someone you love, like grief. It can be the loss of control. It can be the loss of something, of value. Think about our world with inflation and what's happening to people's retirement accounts, uh, and even uncertainty. And so you combine any of those together, and, and you have a, an environment that's favorable for people to be angry with, with one another. When you watch the Weather Channel sometimes, or whatever weather source you use, you'll hear a meteorologist talk about conditions being favorable. It's been the news a lot this week with those devastating wildfires in Maui. They they talked about how conditions were favorable. You had a high pressure system to the north of the Hawaiian Islands. You had a, a low pressure system in Hurricane Dora, about 700 miles off the coast of Maui. And together, because of the circulation around highs and lows, it created this wind channel that really made Maui vulnerable even in its dry season. And so the meteorologists say conditions were favorable uh, for a fire to spread so quickly. And we've, we've seen that devastation uh, on the news. You'll hear them talk about favorable conditions for severe weather. Uh, that's why you can look on your weather app now and say there's a great chance of a tornado or hail because they know based upon the humidity and dew points and a front that conditions are favorable for development. And we live in a world um, because of what's happening where conditions are favorable for. Anger and angry outbursts, and so how do we live wisely in a world that seems just to just be on the cusp of an angry outburst? And again, Proverbs offers us wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter twenty-nine, uh, verse twenty-two. Proverbs is pretty straightforward in a lot of its words. Uh, anger is no different. Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-two: an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits uh, many sins. Uh, Think about your own life uh, when you have been angry. Uh, How much trouble have you stirred up uh, in an angry outburst? Think about those times when you lost control. The anger itself led to a number of other actions, didn't it? Uh, Words that you regret, not just words that you regret, but words that hurt and wounded somebody else. Maybe destruction, Um, maybe your anger led you to throw things, break things. Uh, Maybe even your anger has led you to hit people or hurt other people. Our anger often leads uh, to hurt. An angry person stirs up conflict, a hot-tempered person commits sins. Um, When you know of someone else that's angry, it's not just necessarily yourself. Think about how they can be prone to spread rumors. to try to create drama, uh, to try to cause trouble. That's what anger does. And the writer of Proverbs is just straightforward about it. Uh, Anger isn't good. Proverbs 15, 18 gives us an alternative though. Uh, The father writes to the son he says, hey, here's something you can keep in mind when it comes to anger. A hot tempered person stirs up conflict. Yep, we just looked at that. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. There's a different way to respond when things don't go well, and it's through patience. You can calm a quarrel. It kind of brings to mind the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, people who are bent on bringing peace. Uh, one commentator, his last name's Archibald, says that peacemaking uh, is a place where quarrels come to die a natural death. If you are a peacemaker, if you're bent on being patient and and not fueling a fire with your own anger, oftentimes quarrels will die down. I remember the advice that was given in a book on marriage called Love and Respect. And in the early chapters, it talks about something called the crazy cycle and how when someone feels unloved, then they will lash out in a way that's... Um, or disrespected, they'll lash out in a way that's not cherishing and not loving the other. And he says that someone's gotta get off the crazy cycle. Like someone's gotta choose to jump off of that. Someone's gotta choose to be the peacemaker and stop things. And the writer of Proverbs says, this is the answer. We should be wise people who live to be patient and calm a quarrel. And that brings to mind the words of James. I told you we'd be turning a lot in scripture. James chapter 119, it's a book of wisdom. Similar in some ways to Proverbs in the New Testament, James writes famous words about uh, anger. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear friend, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, mm-hmm. slow to speak, yes. and slow to become angry. What? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Slow to to become angry. Doesn't that sound a lot like the writer of Proverbs? Be patient. Uh, A patient person can calm the storm of anger, can calm a quarrel. How can we be people who move slowly when it comes to these favorable conditions of anger? And here's just a couple hints I would give you. One is, let's go back to the first thing we looked at, attitude. So often what incites anger in us is when our own pride is confronted. If we would walk humbly, you know, think about the last time you were angered. Probably someone didn't do something that you wanted or that you thought was better. Uh, Someone didn't do what you wanted them to do. That's that's pride in some ways welling up. And so what if we are humble? And humility allows us to have this right perspective, right? So we can look at the world and we can say, is this really something I should be that upset about? Humility allows us to take a step back and say, is this a place where I need to lean in with grace and forgiveness and mercy rather than being harsh and angry. I would say another step you could take is to be proactive. Anticipate the hard conversation that might stir up anger. Pray in advance of the hard conversation that might stir up anger. For goodness sakes, eat a meal. Angry is a real thing, right? And so if you know you are irritable when you are hungry, then eat before you have that hard conversation. And let's not be people who go off and have short fuses and hurt a number of people. And so maybe here's a place for an inventory. What would the people who know you best say about you? The people that observe you on a daily basis. The kids that sit in the backseat of your car who live in your home. The spouse who sleeps next to you at night. The people who observe you at work. The people who observe you at school. The the, the drivers who pass you on work every day to Indianapolis this week. Would, Would they say you are angry or are you a person who is calm and slow to anger. We cannot live well when we are quick-tempered, hot-tempered, on the cusp of blowing up uh, at every little ignition source in our life. We live well by being calm and being slow to anger. Again, when disciples of Jesus live differently, it makes a difference. When you're in a situation in the store, uh, just yesterday, uh, one of my sons and I was in a store down in Whitestown at Meyer, And we were having a conversation with an employee who was clearly overwhelmed and he was doing his absolute best and he was not doing things nearly as quickly as I would have hoped, but it was clear he was having a bad day and it was fine. And so we were having a great conversation. My son will vouch for this. We weren't upset in any way. And there was a woman an aisle over who was really upset because they had inventory in the aisles and she couldn't access the merchandise that she wanted. And she got really frustrated and really mean with the guy. I would hope that where I didn't encounter that guy again, he would notice something different in how me and my son handled the situation than how that woman handled it, that it can make a difference. When people see you at work and there's a situation, there's an employee that gets upset, there's a customer that gets upset, how you respond goes a long way in helping people see the validity of the faith that you profess. If you're someone who goes around telling everybody how how strong, how great of a Christian you are, how how proud you are to be a Christian, you've got the bumper stickers and you've got the t-shirts, and yet when people see you interacting with others, you are going off and you're angry and you're spilling vitriol everywhere. It harms the witness of your faith. And so let's be people who live humbly and who are slow to anger. When disciples of Jesus live differently, it makes a difference. Now for the final one, alcohol. Alcohol is one of those subjects that I have found in the church uh, that has caused a lot of undue harm. On the one hand, Uh, we have people who will say in a more legalistic bent that even having a sip of alcohol or alcoholic beverage is a sin. I remember growing up in the Deep South and I was a part of a couple of very conservative churches at that time. And I can still hear the voice of uh, an older lady in our church who said, you know, alcohol is devil spit. And she was just sure that if you even touched an alcoholic beverage, you sinned and you disobeyed God. And, and that's been promoted. There are people that follow Jesus, maybe even some in this room, that's why I risk offending some, that you believe that a Christian should ever, ever, ever have a, a drink of alcohol, and if they do, they are sinning. And here's what I would encourage you to do: is hang tight and let's see what the counsel of God's word says, because I have yet to find. A verse that says having a single drink of alcohol is a sin. But on the other hand, we have followers of Jesus who have kind of rebelled against that kind of what I might call false legalism, and they have moved into a camp of treating alcohol so casually that inevitably they end up developing a relationship with alcohol and consuming alcohol in a way that does bring them into conflict with the scripture. And so how do we lean into this tension? How do we see what scripture says about alcohol? And Proverbs is full of wisdom. We can just start with Proverbs chapter 20, verse one. Very clearly, the wise teacher says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Just very clearly, the, the wise teacher says that There is a potential with strong alcoholic drinks, wine, beer, whatever, mixed drinks, hard seltzers, you name it, that you could be led astray by them. And when you are led astray by them, it's not wise. So clearly there's a way to handle alcohol that is not wise. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 23. In these wise sayings, There are two dedicated to uh, alcohol consumption. In Wise Saying 16, this is verses 19 through 21, Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So again, the wise teacher says that there is a way to engage with an alcoholic beverage that would lead to drinking too much, and that's clearly not condoned, and you won't find that condoned anywhere in Scripture. But then we start to ask the question, well, what is meant by too much, right? Uh, Too much, you know, in in the United States of America, we have a a legal limit for alcohol, right? 0.08. If you blow that, you're in big trouble. Well, Doctors and, and, and medical experts have determined that at 0.08, you're, you're more impaired. But, but what if too much comes before 0.08 for some people? How, how do we determine what too much is when it comes to drink, if drink can lead us astray and cause us um, to go in a wrong way in our lives? And for that, let's move down to verses 29 to 35 of chapter 23. Just listen to this first verse who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes? Now, just look at those questions for a moment. How many of us like to live in woe? How many of us like to live in sorrow? How many of us like to live in strife? How many of us like to live in complaints? How many of us like needless bruises? Uh, Probably none of us, but what often causes us, look at verse 30, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls, of mixed wine. And so again, there is a way that alcohol can be consumed in too much that leads to hurt, that leads to suffering, that leads to sorrow. So what is too much? And I think the verses that follow give us help. Verses 31 and 32. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Like, Craig, how does this help me? the language in verses 31 and 32 is very similar to how the father uh, talks about the seductress or the adulterous woman in chapters 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, very similar to how the wise teacher talks about the adulteress or the adulterer, this this allure to be seduced into sexual sin in verses 26 through 28 of Proverbs chapter 23. And so the, the writer is saying there is a way that we can approach alcohol where it seduces us. You see it sparkling in the cup. So when can alcohol be too much? If for you, it seduces you, you find yourself thinking about how you can get it the next time, You can't go on vacation without it. You can't gather with friends without it. You can't participate in an activity without it. You can't go to bed at night without it. Like you feel in your quiet moments, like I just need to have that drink. Even if you're not gonna get to the place of impairment, I just have to have that drink. Then that for you would be the line. Alcohol would be too much. And then there's the more obvious signs. Look at verses 33 and 34. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? There's just a powerful picture here of how alcohol at some point does begin to affect how your body functions. And that's not necessarily at .08. When you start to feel the effects of alcohol, that's when you're at too much. When you start to feel that high that comes with being buzzed, when you start to move into impairment where you're not seeing things so clearly, you're not thinking so clearly, that's when it's too much. And when alcohol is too much, that's when we're leading into sin. And so how can we be people who live in the tension of not saying something the Bible doesn't say, that alcohol is devil's spit, but also not being people who grow so casual. And this is the thing that saddens me is in our world, I think one of the ways that Christians can stand out right now is in our approach to alcohol because it is everywhere. And are we people who stand out as different? Are we people who are content on our weekends to get buzzed and drunk and then wake up and then go to church on Sunday and be fine? Like, we've got to figure this out because alcohol hurts us and it can harm us when it's too much. And so will we be people who rise up and will we be disciples who live differently so that we can make a difference? One more thing about alcohol that's not even mentioned in this verse. Paul writes, Well, Jesus even before Paul talks about how it would be better for one of us to tie a millstone around our neck and and, and be thrown into the water than to cause one of those of younger faith children to sin. Paul would write in his letters to the Romans, to the Corinthians, about the dangers of believers who are new being enticed by things that we're okay doing and it leads them into sin. Alcohol is too much if our behavior leads somebody else to relapse, to give in to temptation that distances them from God. And this is very personal to me, and I'll share this story at risk of people being upset, offended, whatever. I was a youth minister back in the early 2000s, and I had a dear friend um, in our church. We served together in ministry. Uh, we, we did things together. And we got to where we were watching UFC fights together and, and he and some of the other guys that were watching UFC fights with us would, would usually bring a few beers and they would have a few beers and I would just have my Mountain Dew or I'd have my Coke. And on one occasion, they came over to our house and I drank about a half a bottle of a beer that night. A couple of months later, my friend was pulled over to DUI checkpoint. Uh, he was put into a rehabilitation place. Because what I didn't know is that every night he had been nursing himself with beer before bed. And he was just beginning to get stronger than who did he see having half a bottle of beer, but the youth minister who he served alongside of. And so I had to bring myself to him when he was in rehab and apologize because I was a part of causing my brother to <laughs> sin. And so for those reasons, um, you will not find me in public or with other people and, and probably any anytime. I can't remember the last time I had an alcoholic drink. And it's not because I think if you drink a drink of alcohol, you're a sinner. But for me, I don't wanna be in that place of too much and causing someone else to sin. If you're someone who is able to drink and not cross the line of too much, I would just tell you, be careful who you're around. Do you know what their battles have been, what their struggles have been? Let's live wisely when it comes to alcohol because it can cause so much trouble in people's homes and people's hearts if you're someone who struggles with alcohol here's my challenge to you stop try to live without it go to recovery go to celebrate recovery go to AA get get a therapist to help you process why you're dependent upon it there's no shame in that in all these things whether it's attitude anger or alcohol God's word provides us with tremendous wisdom and if we will trust him, we will find ourselves living well. And the last word of hope I want to leave you with is that in all of these things, whether it's been attitude, you've been a prideful person, or anger, you've been a hothead, or alcohol, you've, you've leaned into it too much, understand that the only way through these trials is through the grace and the hope and the power of God. Through his spirit, he can help us become humble people. Through his power, we surrender to him. He can help calm those angry waters. Through his power, through his spirit, he can deliver us from addiction. And so let's turn to him and trust in him and lean on him and he's available to every single one of us. Let's live well. When disciples of Jesus live differently, it makes a difference. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your hope. God, I pray that you would allow your words to see deeply in our heart. And that, Father, where there is conviction, it would just simply be that would be conviction. And it wouldn't lead to offense that distances people from your kingdom. But, God, we would rest in the truth of your words, and we would lean into you. Um, God, I know that every single person in here, we have different struggles, and we need you to help us be whole and to guide us and to bring us into the fullness of life. So may we trust you and lean into you. And it's in your name we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.